Good morning. Our scripture this morning is found in Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be then God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars, all will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning of sulfur. This is the second death. Thank you, Don, for reading scripture for us this morning. So this is our last sermon in the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, as this first series comes to a close, um, hopefully it's been one that uh, has been enjoyable and insightful for you. Uh, just to give you a little bit of information into what's coming next. So next Sunday we'll be entering into our Advent series, uh, which I have titled Miraculous Births. We're going to be looking at uh, some miraculous births throughout Scripture, obviously leading up to the birth of Jesus, uh, our Christmas Eve service. Um, so that's what's, what's coming, uh, and I won't let you in too much into the plans that I have for sermon series in the new year. <laughs> You'll have to uh, stick around until after Christmas to hear about those. So uh, that's what's coming next. Uh, but speaking of Christmas, my wife loves Christmas, and not to put her, put her on the spot here this morning, uh, but she loves Christmas music, Christmas lights, Christmas decorations, anything Christmas. She is all for that. And recently, we've uh, been having a little disagreement about when the proper time to begin celebrating Christmas season is. Uh, maybe some of you who are laughing can relate to this <laughs> this morning. Um, more specifically about uh, when the proper time to start putting the Christmas decorations out is. Do we start the whole Christmas thing after Thanksgiving? Or do we start it all you know, after Halloween or, or even earlier than that? Or I, anyway, there is a correct answer to that question, by the way. Uh, obviously, the Christmas season starts after Thanksgiving. Uh, but that's my opinion. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, I was, I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about our final passage in the book of 1 Thessalonians today, uh, and I got to thinking about uh, Santa Claus's naughty or nice list, um, and it's the idea that 
if you want presents from Santa Claus, you'd, you'd better be good, right? For goodness sake, as, as, the, as the song goes. Um, and today, we'll be finishing the book of 1 Thessalonians, as I said. And Paul, throughout this book, has been talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? And so I was kind of connecting the two things in my head, right? The fact that Santa Claus is coming to town, and the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, right? And so, as a result, Paul has been saying that because Jesus is coming back, we must be living differently. That's been a theme that we've talked about throughout this book. And as Paul clarifies in one important point here as he closes his letter today, he's going to talk about how it isn't us who make ourselves ready for when Jesus comes back. It's ultimately God who accomplishes that work. And so whether you are anxiously anticipating Santa Claus or Jesus Christ, we must trust in God to help us to be good. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for this book, for this letter uh, to the Thessalonians that was written so many years ago. And God, we thank you just for the, the wisdom and the insight that you have given us. And so this morning as we close, uh, may we not just remember the things that we learned today, but may we remember the things that we've learned throughout this series. And God, may it produce change in our lives, a change that is a blessing to the world around us. And so God, speak to us this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles one final time to the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 5 this morning. We looked at uh, the second to last section last week. Uh, and this morning we'll be looking at uh, chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Today's passage is split up into uh, two parts for us. The first section is what God can do for you in verses 23 through 24. And the second, what you can do for others, verses 25 through 28. And let me read verses 23 through 24 for us this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so Paul's final words to the Thessalonians begin with a prayer for them. But here he's, he's praying a specific type of prayer. This is something that we are familiar with as a church. This is a prayer that's known as a benediction. And so this is uh, what we do at the end of our worship services here at California. Uh, typically, I will come back up and I will pray a benediction. And my practice is to take the main ideas from the sermon and take some words from the worship song uh, and to turn that into the benediction. And I'll put those together, and it's a, a form of prayer, uh, but it's not what, what we think of and what we do in the middle of our worship service. It's not a hands-folded, eyes-closed type of prayer. A benediction is uh, what I call a eyes-open, hands-open kind of prayer. A prayer in which we receive a blessing 
from God. And so usually when we pray, we, uh, we tend to just ask God for things. But a benediction is an acknowledgement of what we have already received from God. The reason that we close a worship service with a benediction is because in a worship service we have met God. Right? We aren't just people superficially gathering together on a Sunday morning. There, there's something special, something supernatural happening as we gather together. We meet God through how he reveals himself to us in his word. We meet God through our prayer time together, speaking with him. And we meet God through our worship of him. And so as a result, when we reach the end of our worship service, we uh, pray the benediction because we accept that blessing that we have received from God throughout the worship service. And not only do we receive the blessing, but we carry that blessing with us throughout our weeks as we go to do the things that God has asked us to do. And the reason the benediction is given is because it's a reminder A reminder that not only has God blessed us, but it's a reminder that God is with us as we go about our weeks. It's a reminder that God wants to help us. A reminder that God doesn't just ask us to do things and then leave us alone to do them, but uh, that he gives us what we need. And he blesses us with the ability to do the things that he has asked us to do. And that blessing is received through the benediction. And so that's why Paul prays a benediction over the Thessalonians here, because he has just finished this book talking about the instructions that he has given them. Now he's reminding them that God is with them and God has blessed them to do the things that he has given them. And so when Paul prays, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, in verse 4, He's actually taking what he said back in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, when he said this, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So he's returning to that theme of sanctification, and he's turning what, what previously in Thessalonians was a command, and now he's turning that command into a blessing. It's no longer Pursue your sanctification, but Paul is saying, God will sanctify you. And this isn't to say that the Thessalonians are now relieved from their active role of pursuing holiness. They still have to do those things, but Paul is reminding them of the bigger picture. And so for the Thessalonians and and for us who have journeyed through this book together, We've received all of this instruction. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by this kind of thing. It's easy to feel like uh, there's a lot to remember uh, to be a follower of Jesus. But Paul is saying, don't miss this. Here is the most important point here at the end. Ultimately, it is God who does the work in you. And God's work is to sanctify us completely. To make every part of our being more like him. And this isn't to say that we become perfect, but 
we pursue perfection over the course of our lives. This is why Paul prays in the next part of that verse, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's complete sanctification means sanctification of our lives in three specific areas that he mentions there, right? Spirit, soul, and body. First, Paul mentions our spirit, right? We know that we are spiritual beings, and so there is a spiritual aspect of our existence. We as people connect with God himself. We um, connect with God through worship or through prayer or through spiritual practices. And we as people long for something greater than ourselves, right? This is our... uh, transcendent nature. The idea that people know that there is a God somewhere. And so God wants to sanctify the spiritual part of ourselves. Because, well, we don't always allow ourselves to be open to connecting with God in the ways that we should. Because we you know, we don't always worship or pray or do spiritual practices with the right intentions. And because when we long for something greater than ourselves, it isn't always God that we are longing for. Right? Good examples of these are, you know, the, the Pharisees who did spiritual practices, but with the wrong intentions. Or the ancient Israelites who Uh, when seeking something greater than themselves, didn't seek God, but sought idols or other gods. And so God wants to sanctify our spirits. Next, God wants to sanctify our souls. And the word that Paul uses here, this this means the, the, the core of our being. The part of us that feels, the part of us that produces emotions, the part of us that uh, produces our desires, right? And God wants to sanctify our souls because well, we, we don't always feel what we should feel. We don't always desire what we should desire. And, well, because our emotions, don't, they don't always reflect God's emotions, right? And so for that reason, God, he wants to sanctify our souls. And finally, uh, Paul mentions the body. This is our, our physical selves, right? The, the part of us that, that acts, the part of us that works, and the part of us that uh, has senses or experiences senses. And God wants to sanctify our bodies. Because the way that we act isn't always the way that we should act. Because what we sense isn't always what we should be sensing. And because what we work towards in our lives, it's not always what God wants us to work towards. So God wants to sanctify our bodies. And Isn't this an amazing God to worship? 
a God who isn't only interested in what we do or what we say, but God is interested in every single part of us, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. All the way down to the, the, the depths of the, the core of, of who we are as people. The parts of us that we might not even know are there, or the parts of us that we don't like to show. God cares about who we are. And because he cares about who we are, he wants every part of our being to be made whole, to find healing. And God knows that the only way that we can be made whole is if we draw closer to him, right? That's what it means to be sanctified. Self-help books have become very popular in our culture, right? Books that focus on you know, getting us in tune with our spirit or nourishing our souls or keeping our bodies healthy. But at the end of the day, we, we shouldn't want self-help. We should want God's help. And God, as Paul reminds the Thessalonians and reminds us, God has promised to help us. And he cares about our sanctification. And so for all of us this morning, which part of us is most in need of sanctification? Right? Breaking ourselves into these three categories. Is it spirit? Is it soul? Is it body? Maybe it's two. Maybe more truthfully, maybe it's three. But God wants all three of these parts to be sanctified in order for us to be complete. And so as Paul mentions in verse 24, he says, God is faithful. He will surely do it. See, God wants us to be sanctified. God has the power to sanctify us, and he has promised to sanctify us. And so God will sanctify us. This is why Paul uses the word may in his benediction. It's the the classic classroom story, right? The kid comes up to the teacher and says, can I go to the bathroom? And the teacher says, I don't know, can you? And so with God, it's, it's not can, because God can, right? That's why Paul prays with a may. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's a may, and when it comes to sanctification, if we ask God to sanctify us, his answer is always yes. We might not like how he answers that question, (laughs) but the answer is yes. But Paul doesn't stop at uh, simply what God can do for us. He as he's done many times throughout this letter, he moves on to not only what God has done for us or can do for us, but uh, what we should do in response. And so here's our last section in the book of 1 Thessalonians. What you can do for others, let me read verses 25 through 28 for us. 
Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so now that Paul has finished praying this benediction, this blessing over the Thessalonians, he asks them in turn to pray for us. And this brings us all the way back to our first sermon in this series uh, when we talked about the, the missionary journey and the persecution that Paul and Silas and Timothy faced uh, as they shared the gospel in Thessalonica. And so Paul recognizes that in this letter, not only does he have valuable things to give to the Thessalonians, valuable instruction, valuable promises, but he also has valuable things to gain from them as well. Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians is a two-way street, and though he is separated from them now, Paul knows that the Thessalonians can still pray for him and his friends and for their ministry together. The Thessalonians can ask God, who Paul just described God as faithful to fulfill his promises. They can ask God to bless him and his friends. And the Thessalonians would have been well aware of Paul's prayer needs. He was a missionary. So he needed prayer for, for boldness, prayer for protection, prayer for provision as he traveled. Paul knew that uh, prayer was the greatest gift that the Thessalonians could give him. Prayer was his greatest need. And so let's think about that for a second, right? If, if Paul's view of God was that God is faithful to fulfill his promises, then why would he and the Thessalonians, why would they not ask God for his help, right? It just makes logical sense. This is a free gift from God, and so they should take advantage of it. And so for us as, as a church receiving this letter, we know that uh, we should pray for one another. Pray as Paul prayed, right? Pray for the sanctification of ourselves and, and for others. And prayer really is the best thing that we can do for one another, and, and we do a good job of that. And we should especially pray for those who have gone out from our midst to to do the work of the Lord or to answer God's calling in their life, right? I think about uh, Chris Rojan going through the Pastoral Assessment Center coming up in January. I think of uh, Crystal Funk and her ongoing ministry with Hearts United for Haiti. I think of, you know, David and Amber Medic who went to Dixon, Illinois to, to minister to a church there. And I'm sure there are others that uh, I'm missing who have gone out to do the work of the Lord. And so may we not forget about them, but may we pray for them, those who have gone out, as Paul left the Thessalonians, those who have gone out uh, from this church to, to do the work of the Lord. Paul's benediction is not only for the Thessalonians to be blessed in their sanctification, but the reason for them to be sanctified is so that they can be a blessing to other people. And we can be a blessing through praying for other people. Next, Paul says in a famous line, 
and a line that has become the, the source of many jokes over the years. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And while this line might seem a little funny to us, we have to remember that the Thessalonian church existed in a different culture than our culture today. It's likely that uh, this holy kiss was just a form of greeting between people, similar to you know, a nice firm handshake or a hug that we might do on a Sunday morning. But either way, the point is not necessarily to get hung up on the holy kiss, but uh, the point is that inside the church, there should be a, a general uh, warm affection for one another. This is the idea of brotherly or sisterly love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, because of that fact, we should love one another. Many walk into a church and uh, get this feeling of uh, a cold, rigid group who uh, don't actually like being together, right? Maybe you've had that experience, not here, but at another church. But that's not how it should be. And I'm not suggesting that we start greeting each other with a holy kiss on Sunday mornings, uh, but we should uh, act like we like each other. And so uh, I think we do a good job of this as well. But don't be afraid to act like you like one another. People should be able to walk through our doors and say, you know, wow, this is, this is a group of people that, you know, they're not just there because they have to be there, but... They want to be there. They want to be together. They love each other. And I wonder what it is that binds them together. Paul wanted this to be true of the Thessalonian church. And here's Paul's final command in verse 27. He says, have this letter read to all the brothers. It's a pretty strong command from Paul, but it's it's important. This was not a a personal letter from one individual to another individual. Paul understands that this is a letter that is divinely inspired, right? These are uh, words that God and teaching that God has given to Paul and Paul is passing along to the Thessalonian church. Ultimately, it wasn't Paul who came up with this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul is a messenger relaying this message to its intended audience. And Paul knows that this letter is meant for all of the brothers, not just the leadership of the church of Thessalonica, but this is for everyone. It's for the whole church. And I have a sense that Paul also knew that this was meant for all churches going down history, right? Being included in the canon of scripture and being preached in churches, uh, maybe in the 21st century. Paul probably didn't know that exactly. But Paul knew that what he was writing down uh, was applicable going beyond just his present day circumstances. And so just imagine with me for a moment, the Thessalonians uh, receiving this letter for the first time would have been a group of people huddled together, probably not in a church building like we're in right now, but more likely within the walls of someone's home. And just outside, in the streets of their city, they could be killed or put in prison for what they were doing and what they believed. 
And as this letter is read out loud to them, I just imagine the weight being lifted off of people's shoulders. As they hear the, the things that we have learned throughout this sermon series, right? The things that we were reminded of. They would have heard the, the promise of the resurrection and the hope of being reunited with friends and family. They would have been encouraged by the news that Jesus is coming back because that was truly good news. They would have heard what Paul just talked about, right? The, the promise of sanctification in their lives and, and the, the caring of God to, to want to uh, sanctify every part of them. This would have been a message of hope for that group of Christians in Thessalonica. And so often we, you know, we take God's word for granted, but just imagine the impact that this letter would have had on that group of Christians. And that's the same impact that uh, hopefully this letter can have on you and on me as well. And it's the same impact that this letter can have on anyone that we meet. And so Paul closes the book of 1 Thessalonians, not with an instruction, but with a final message of hope. He says in the last line, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is a similar message to how he opened the book in chapter 1, verse 1, where he said, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul has bookended this letter with the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the eternal life that we can have through him, the forgiveness of sin, that grace is the beginning and the end of the letter to the Thessalonians, but also of our lives. And may we never forget that. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, once again, we, uh, we thank you for this book. We thank you for your message of sanctification in our lives. We thank you for caring so much about not just part of us, but, but all of us. God, may we never forget the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have heard through this book, and the hope that we need to share with others. And so, uh, may we not take your word for granted, God, but may we truly take it to heart. May we allow it to change us, and may we change the world around us as a result. May we trust in you, 